thank you for being here. My name is Kurt Bubna, and I have the honor of being the senior pastor here, which just means I'm the old guy. And uh, yes, it really is Bubna. You're wondering, I know. But it is so good to be with you. We had a great first service. And uh, today we're going to continue in our series, The Not-So-Cool Cats of the Bible, and take a, lo- a look at a lesson from a woman who had an issue of bleeding for a long time. And uh, she made a forbidden touch, but God met her. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. We'll get there in just a little bit. I, um, I want to tell you that this woman that we're going to refer to here today uh, is not referred to by name in the Scripture. She's mentioned both in Mark 5 and Luke 8 and in uh, Matthew chapter 9. But she is not mentioned by name, but what she is uh, described by is this devastating condition that she suffered under for 12 years. And I've included her in the Not So Cool Cats uh, series, not because she did anything wrong, but because most everyone who knew this woman during her years of suffering would have considered her anything but cool. Her condition, in fact, would have made her a pariah of sorts. She would have been, a, in some ways, a social outcast. She was ceremonially unclean, according to the Jewish law, which means she couldn't touch anyone, or, or that would make them unclean, and no one could touch her. And worse than that, even, imagine not being able to come to church. She couldn't go to synagogue. Because she was unclean. There was a woman's section in the synagogue that she was not allowed to participate in because of her condition. Now, you and I may not have the same bleeding condition that she had, but lots of us have carried physical, emotional, relational, financial burdens for a long time. And we know the reality of hopelessness, of desperation, of discouragement, of despair, and maybe even depression. And today, it's my hope for you. I've been praying all week long. that My my hope for you is that you'd leave here today with more hope and that you leave here with a greater focus on him and more faith because of it. And to that end, because I know we just pray, but I need to pray again. Let's pray. Father, uh, we desperately need you. Uh, We need your understanding. We need your heart. And it's my prayer today, God, it really has been and will continue to be, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, that you would speak your truth to us. Use, Lord, a weak vessel like me, just a, a, a human voice to speak into the hearts of your people. Use your Holy Spirit to communicate to us today about what we need to understand and and, and infuse us with hope today, God. But we have struggled and wrestled and and some of us have been despairing and discouraged. I pray today that we would leave here changed because of you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 5, we'll pick it up, verse 21. And we're going to pick up, there's really two stories in what we're going to take a look at here. We're going to focus on the woman, but let me begin in verse 21. Mark 5, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, now this is not a rabbi, uh, the equivalent in our situation might be a church board member, an elder, a deacon, he served the temple. He was not a rabbi, but one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He was desperate. He pleaded earnestly with him. And when it says pleaded earnestly, there's no stronger language in the original language of the Bible, the Greek language, that can be used here. He was desperate, pleaded earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And I love verse 24. So Jesus went with him. Jesus didn't see people's interruptions. He saw it as an opportunity. So so Jesus went with him. Now, Jairus, we're not going to finish his story. It's in the latter part of this chapter. But so you'll know his daughter does die, uh, and, and yet that's not the end of the story. Jesus touches her, brings her back to life. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the first time Jesus did that. So Jairus is desperate, asked for Jesus to come. A large crowd followed him, pressed around him. Verse 25, 
And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, we don't know for certain, but it's highly likely that she had this abnormal and constant menstrual bleeding, that that was her problem. And verse 26 says, she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So like Jairus, in a different way for different reasons, she's desperate as well. Long time, spent everything she had, and she had, was not getting better. She was actually getting worse. If you suffered with a chronic condition of some sort, especially a physical condition, you know how discouraging that can be, and that's where she's at. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, we don't know what she heard, but when she heard about him, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, remember, touching anyone for her was a big no-no. Touching a rabbi was a huge no-no. She's breaking all sorts of rules here, going against everything she's supposed to do. Verse 29, immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Somehow, in the midst of this touch, she had an encounter with Jesus, a power encounter that changed her, and she knew it. So to Jesus, at verse, at verse 30, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. I love the word power. And again, the original language of the Bible, it's the word dunamis, and we get the word dynamite from it. So dunamis or dunamis here is used, and it means Jesus felt something powerful happen. Jesus felt power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? Who touched me? You see the crowd, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? Now here's another great example of the disciples being absolutely clueless. They didn't get it. They, Jesus wasn't saying, who touched me? He was saying, who touched me? Who, where who, where, where was, was that encounter that changed a life? Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He wasn't giving up. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the truth. Why is she trembling with fear? Because she took a big risk. And two counts here. Again, she engaged this man, and uh, you wouldn't do that in public when she touched him, and she was unclean. Verse 34, absolutely love this. He, Jesus, said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and live free now from your suffering. I love that Jesus didn't despise her. He didn't reprimand her. In fact, what he did was he blessed her, and he affirmed her in grace, going as far even as to call her daughter. And you've got to hear the tone of Jesus' voice was tender and compassionate and kind. I can only imagine the look on his face as he looked into the eyes of that woman who had suffered for so long. And he said, sweetheart, daughter, it's okay. Your faith has healed you. You can go from here in peace. You're healed. I don't know where you're desperate right now. Some of you I know, and I know your stories. But I don't know what most of you are facing. I don't know how long you've wrestled with your situation, whatever it might be. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. But I do know this. I know that this woman is held up in three Gospels, here in Mark and in Matthew and in Luke, in three Gospels as someone that we can learn from. And so I want to unpack a couple of lessons from this woman, this, some lessons from a desperate woman. Here's the first one if you're following along in your outline. Number one, desperation can be good if it takes us to Jesus. Now, if you were to ask somebody on the street, do you think desperation is good? Most of them are going, no, I don't like being desperate. It's not fun being desperate. Desperate is bad. And I would agree with you. It's hard. It's, it's not fun. But desperation can be, key phrase, can be good if it takes us to Jesus. I want you to fully understand what's going on. You've got to try to put yourself in this woman's shoes or 
sandals as the case may be. For 12 long years she suffered. Not 12 days, not 12 weeks, not 12 months, 12 long years. And she experienced something no woman likes to experience for a few days, a never-ending cycle, and she was miserable. 12 long years. Think about it. That's a long time. Some of us were using binkies 12 years ago. Some of you were skinnier and had more hair, like me, 12 years ago. 12 years ago, there were no smartphones, iPhones, iPads. Isn't that amazing? 12 years ago, there was no Facebook or Twitter. What? 12 years ago, Justin Bieber was six years old. <laughs> Important to know. <laughs> My point is, a lot happens in 12 years. And this woman suffered horribly for a long, long time. And keep in mind, and I'm not trying to gross anybody out here. The Bible is very real, and I want to be very real. You need to keep in mind, they didn't have sterile, perfumed, easy-to-use feminine products. What they used back then were rags that needed to be cleaned and cared for daily. She was miserable. And on top of the physical condition, which was horrible and tough and draining, and I imagine she was anemic. I mean, think of all what she had to deal with. On top of that, she was socially and even spiritually impacted by this. She had a social and a religious problem. She couldn't worship with the community. She couldn't engage. In fact, it's highly likely that she was either divorced or never married. Highly unlikely that she had a husband, and certainly unlikely that she had any children. She was childless. Any way you cut it, she had a hard life. But somehow, somewhere along the way, she'd heard about this rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus. And maybe for the first time in a long, long time, there was this glimmer of hope that she had. Verse 28 says, she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I can just touch this guy, touch Jesus, I'll be healed. When my youngest son Isaac was just a little boy, in fact, he was five years old, uh, he uh, woke up one morning and got out of bed and collapsed. At the time, we didn't know that until we came running in there because he collapsed in excruciating pain. Little boy, and this, my, my son Isaac, was one of those kids, you maybe had one, who could run into a wall at 50 miles an hour and kind of shake it off and go, ooh, whatever. You know, he, he, he had very high pain threshold, has all of his life. So when we hear him screaming from his bedroom, I'm figuring his brother is killing him, which is entirely possible, or, or he's really hurt. And we were running in there, and he's grabbing it below his knee and his foot. Well, of course, we don't know what's going on, and we take him to emergency and the doc starts to run these tests. Now, here's a little insight. We didn't have insurance. I was in between jobs. Had no medical insurance and no money. And they start running these tests. Ever had tests run at a hospital? Oh, oh, my goodness. And this was like a long time ago, and it's still thousands of dollars and all these tests and all this stuff going on. And they said, we're going to have to admit him. We're going to have to run more tests and blah, 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 blah. And to say that my wife and I are desperate at that point would be this, like, gross understatement. We were desperate. No money, no idea what's going on with our kid. And then they tell us the results from the test are, well, he has a serious, rare bone infection. It's in his bones. We're going to have to put him on IV, high antibiotics. And here's the word they use. Weeks, for weeks, probably in the hospital to get this under control. If we don't, he could be crippled. He could even die. Well, like, what? We were extremely desperate and brokenhearted. If you've got kids and you've seen them suffer, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I called my friend and Pastor Jack and my brother Kevin, who lived in town. And I said, guys, would you come and lay hands on my son and pray for him? 
I, I need a, I need, I, we need a miracle. Well, they came, they prayed, and God did the miracle. He healed, completely, absolutely healed my son. In fact, I love it. The, the next day, I come back to the hospital, and I'm, I'm expecting to find him in his room, in his bed, hooked up to an IV, and I look through the doors and the, the windows to the peat area, and I see this flash. He never walked anywhere either. I see this flash, I'm thinking, that looked like Isaac. That couldn't be Isaac. And sure enough, it was Isaac. And we go and find out that the doc says, you know what? Uh, we've ran some more tests, and we don't really, we, we might have, might have misdiagnosed what happened. We don't, he's, uh, he's okay now. We're gonna, in fact, we're going to release him. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, when they don't know what, who to give credit to, they just give credit to a mistake instead of God. And God healed my son. I know God healed my son. I know he did. We were desperate, and we cried out for him, desperate like Jairus, whose daughter was dying, just desperate like this woman who had an issue of bleeding, desperate for a touch from God. Now, let me insert something else here that's very important for you to understand. Not for a moment do I believe that this woman's condition was caused by God. Listen carefully. I do not believe that God caused her situation, nor do I believe that God caused my son's situation. God doesn't make people sick. As I've said before, and I don't have the time to, to really get into this this morning, but we live in a broken world filled with disease and evil. And we live with broken bodies that do have an expiration date. Let me just clue you in on something here. 50 years from now, a lot of us won't be here, and nobody's going to be stronger or better looking. You're not getting stronger and better. We're all getting older. We're all decaying. We're all going the way that all mankind goes. We live in a broken world. And what you need to know is that's not God's fault. God created perfect, put us perfectly on, on the perfect place. It was mankind's sin. Our sin, our choice is what brought evil into the world, not God's. We can't blame him. And so now for a second, do I blame God for this woman's condition or for my son's or for anything I've been exposed to in the years? But here's what I do know. I know that God can and will use our brokenness to draw us to him, and that's a good thing. He doesn't cause it, but he will use it. He can and he will use your brokenness, my brokenness, our suffering, our pain to draw us to him, and that's a good thing. I have a very good friend who, when he was young, had an accident, broke his back, was paralyzed from the waist down most of his life. And once upon a time, somebody asked him, do you blame God for that? Do you, don't you blame God? And don't, aren't you bitter about And I'll never forget his response, because I was standing right there when he said, he said, no, I don't. I don't blame God. God has used this to draw me closer to him, and that has taken the sting out of my suffering. And I remember thinking, wow, what? What did he say? No, God didn't cause this, but he's used it to draw me closer to him, and that has taken the sting out of my suffering. I don't know all of your stories. Some of them I do. But I don't know what pain or brokenness or suffering you might be experiencing right now. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that you can let that desperation draw you to Jesus. Listen, I ache for you. I am so sorry that you are in the midst of the horrible thing you're in the midst of. And I don't know why. I, I can't give you a lot of simple, cliche answers to the reason for your suffering. But here's what I do know. You can let this draw you closer to Jesus, and that would be good. See, we can become bitter or better, and the choice is up to us. We can become bitter or better, and I want to suggest the only true path to better is the path that takes us to Jesus. 
Let your desperation draw you to him like it did Jairus who fell at his feet, like it did this woman who fell at his feet. Reach out to him. Here's the second lesson, number two. Desperation takes us to God, but our faith brings God's power to us. Desperation can, hopefully it will, take us to God, but it is our faith that brings God's power to us. In other words, there often is a vital component we provide if we're to experience the touch and power of God in our lives. Sometimes God just does what he does sovereignly, and we don't have a whole lot to do with it. But sometimes our faith triggers a response from him. Now I realize the second I say the word faith, uh, there's a mix of emotions from people and a a crowd this size. Some get all excited. Oh good, he's talking about my favorite topic. Some get confused, like, oh man, I don't want to hear about this anymore. I'm so tired. Some just have no idea what really to believe. And some think the relation of faith to healing in the Gospels is complex, and I, I disagree. I don't think it really is that complex. Because when we understand who is to be the focus and the object of our faith and what true faith looks like, then faith is a lot easier for us to understand. When we understand who is to be the object and focus of our faith, then faith becomes a lot, I'm not saying it's easy, but a lot easier for us to understand. I'm going to give you something right now that will help you the rest of your life if you get it. And it's a simple thing. But I, I, I promise you it will make a difference and it will help you understand this whole issue of faith. Whenever you read about faith in the Bible, add the words right after it, in God or in Christ or in Him. Whenever you read the word faith, when you read about it in Old or New Testament, add the word in God, the phrase in God or in Christ or in Him, they're all synonymous, at the end of that phrase. And it will help you understand who is to be the object and the focus of our faith. Now I realize that, and again, for me to get through uh, a good explanation of faith in the 10 or 12 minutes I'm going to take to do this is ludicrous. A wiser pastor wouldn't go here. I know it's tough. I know I'm not going to answer all your questions. But I want you to get this. The key is who we put our faith in. Jesus always responded to people's faith. He did here in Mark chapter 5. He responded to this woman's faith. But sometimes he couldn't do much because of lack of faith. But is it lack of faith something intrinsic, something we have, or lack of faith in him? In Matthew 13, Jesus had gone back to his hometown. He had been out uh, preaching, doing miracles, and people had heard about it from his hometown. Now he's back to the place he grew up, and he couldn't do much there. And it says in Matthew 13, 58, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Faith does matter. But what I'm trying to dial up for you and want you to get, if you get anything, is what matters is who, whom, where is the focus of our faith. Faith matters, but the object of our focus is what matters most. Faith that honors God and moves God is faith that is focused on him. If you're writing notes, taking notes today, write that down. Faith that honors God and moves God to action is faith in God. It's faith in him. Let me tell you some things faith's not. Faith is not uh, name it and claim it. Uh, I I don't think we're ever going to override God's sovereignty. And if we could, we wouldn't want to, trust me. And I know some teach this, and maybe it's something you've believed, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. And I love all my brothers and sisters in in Christ. But I'm telling you, faith is not name it and claim it. Faith is nothing, there's nothing magical about it. There's nothing people-centered about it. 
Part of my concern with the name and claim it routine is that it becomes focused on, on me, my ability, on, on what I want, what I believe, and somehow as if I can, I can supersede what God might want or God might do. Faith is not faith in faith. Faith is not some presumptive arrogance on my part where I act apart from God's will. And that's what I see a lot when people, well, I prayed, I thought I prayed in faith. Well, were you praying in faith in God according to his will? Faith is not faith in our ability to have more faith. Man, I've talked to so many people confused about this. Oh, if I just had, I know I just need more faith. I just, I'm like, get more faith. I go, relax. Take a deep breath. Chillax. It's not about you. Faith is not some mystical, magical prayer formula either. And I've been there. I've done it. I, I watch somebody pray for somebody, and, and I get, oh, 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 now I know. I've got to pray this way. In Jesus' name. And if I just do the right thing and say it the right way, that'll make it happen. Where's, that fa where's faith? Is it that in God or is that in a method, a, a, a form, or a, or a formula? Uh -uh. Let me say it again. Faith that honors God and moves God is faith in God. It's faith in him. And by the way, uh, the lack of healing cannot automatically be attributed to sin or the lack of faith on someone's part. Now, that may be part of what's going on. But let me just tell you, it's not our place to judge that either. I cringe when I hear people say, well, if they just had more faith, they'd get healed. Where do we get off judging people? I could show you a few passages of the Bible that said, don't go there, don't do that. I had a friend of mine who was dying of cancer years ago. And prayed for by many, including me. And Steve Perry, some of you know him. And uh, somebody at one point told Steve, if he just had more faith, he'd be healed. And I tell you, when I heard about that, I wanted to hurt that person. They would need healing when I got done with them. <laughs> Man, where do we get off doing that? Faith is faith in God. And it is important. And it is something we always need to grow in, in him. But our healing and our wholeness is not primarily about the measure of our faith. I just don't believe that. It's not about the measure of our faith. It's about who we put our faith and our hope and our confidence in. In fact, let me ask you a very probing question. Don't answer out loud, but let me ask you this question. Who has more faith? The person that gets prayed for and gets healed, or the person who gets prayed for doesn't get healed, and yet they walk away still believing, still putting their hope and their trust in God. I think that person shows an awful lot of faith. Faith is all about him. Let me give you an example of something that I think will make this clear. Jesus' disciples were trying to cast a demon out of a person, and they failed. They didn't work. Jesus wasn't there. And they tried, and it didn't happen. And Jesus came into the scene. Jesus does it. Guys set free. And they turned to Jesus and said, oh, how come we couldn't do that? What happened there? Matthew 17, verse 20. Jesus said, you don't have enough faith. Now, if he just stopped right there with a period, I don't know how you'd feel, but I'd feel a little like, oh, man. I got to just, uh, uh. you know, it'd become all about us again. But he went on and he said this. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. Now, you didn't have enough faith, but now listen to this. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible for you. Now, you may not know this, but how big is a mustard seed? Very, 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 very small. Jesus picked like one of the smallest seeds on the planet to make his point. It's not about the measure of your faith. It's a little faith put in a great, big God. I see 
the disciples, I'm sure, confused, puzzled by this. Wait a minute, you're saying it's, I need more faith, but I, I, if I had just a little faith, I'd be okay? And here's this point again. Somehow the disciples, I truly believe this, they had put their faith in what they could do and a methodology. Well, we saw Jesus do it this way. And he said this word, abracadabra, come out of him, demon. And, you know, they did. They, they put their faith in something other than in God in that moment. And Jesus is making it clear. Even a little faith put into a great big God is what matters. John Wimber, my pastor from years ago, he's with Jesus now, but he, he wants to put it this way. He said, faith in him, there's that phrase, in him, is how God releases his healing power. Because faith in him, there it is again, is what gets God's attention. Faith in him is how God releases his power because faith in him is what gets God's attention. But again, it's not our faith or what we can do. It is faith in him. This poor woman here in Mark 5 had tried everything, spent all her money, but in the end, what brought her healing? She believed and had faith, hope, confidence in Jesus. You see, her faith was vital. I hope you're not confused. Yes, Jesus affirmed her faith. Her faith was vital. But it was the object, the person of her faith. She put her faith in him. She believed that Jesus was anointed by God. And she had undoubtedly heard that he'd done other miracles. And somehow she just had it in her heart. I know if I could just touch him, I'll be healed. Despite the risks, despite the fears, despite the difficulties, despite the obstacles, of the crowd, all the things pressing against her to keep her away. She so believed in Jesus that she acted in faith. She acted in faith. And Jesus said, because of your faith in me, you're whole. That's the kind of faith that gets God's attention. And so let me ask you a question. Who is the object or the focus of your faith? Everyone gets hurt. Everyone suffers a little bit, a lot of it. We all do. And if you're desperate, Today, if you're desperate, I want to encourage you, come to Jesus. Do what Jairus did. Do what this woman did. Come running to Jesus. And then I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on him. Because he's the answer. It's not you. It's not some formula. It's not some methodology. It's not some thing. It's not some magic words. It is Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. The writer of Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews 12 too. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and the one who makes it perfect. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who is the initiator, the beginner, the author, and the finisher, the perfecter, the one who makes our faith perfect. And this means that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he brings us to that place that we need to be. Now listen carefully to me. I'm almost done, but listen. I cannot promise you that you'll always get the immediate result you want when you come to him in faith. I cannot promise you that you will always have symptomatic abatement. I can't. And I don't understand why it seems some people come in faith and nothing happens the way they want it to. I can't promise that, but here's what I can promise. I can promise you that when you come to him, you will always get the end result you need. It may not be what you want, what you would desire, but it will always be what you need. The prom and that's just not Kurt. That's the promise of Jesus he promises to meet our needs. My friend eventually lost his battle with cancer. He left a wife and two beautiful little kids. But you know what? Steve died in faith. And he's perfect now. And you think, well, yeah, no, really. We prayed for wholeness in his life. Guess what? He's whole. He's healed. He's perfect.
when you suffer, when you're wrestling through something way bigger than you, run to Jesus and fix your eyes on him. I want to finish with one last story that I want to paraphrase from Mark chapter 14, and I'll be done. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. The disciples are on a boat, and they're going across the lake. They're in a storm, high winds, not pretty. They're struggling, and then somebody sees off in the distance what they thought was a ghost. It's a ghost! And they all get all freaky and scared, and I'm sure they're rowing much harder. Well, then somebody says, it's Jesus! And, and they realize, oh, man, maybe it is. And Peter, got to love this guy, just love Peter. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, I want to come to you. I want to walk on water. Now, you know, we often say, Jesus is the only guy to ever walk on water. No, it's not true. Jesus and Peter walked on water. And I can just see, can you just see the Lord? All right. <laughs> come on, Pete, this is going to be good. And the disciples in the boat, can you see those guys? What are you doing? You're such an idiot. Get in the boat. You're going to tip us over. You're going to die. I don't understand what you do. Why are you always going out there? Why are you always... And Peter's ignoring them all, steps out of the boat, and for a while... You know, he's walking on water. But it says that he, he began to sink. And Jesus reached down and grabbed him by the hand. And you know what Jesus said to him in, Mark 14, in Matthew 14? He said, Peter, why do you have such little faith? Why didn't you trust in me? Do you see the connection there? Jesus was saying, Peter, you should have just believed in yourself more. You should have just had more strength. If you'd have just been a better person, stronger, more mature, if you'd have just figured this all out on your own, you'd be fine. Uh uh. She said, Why do you have little faith? And then he connects it to exactly what I'm saying here. Why didn't you trust in me? He's saying, Pete, if you'd just kept your eyes on me, if you'd have just fixed your attention, if you'd have believed in me, you wouldn't be all wet right now. Where's the focus in your heart today? Where are you struggling? Let it draw you to him and fix your eyes on the one who will meet you. Let me buy you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us, your patience with us. God, I thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know our struggle, our suffering, our pain, and you care. And God, I don't know the source, the reason why I don't get all of the stuff that happens in our lives, but I do know this. I know this, God. If it will draw us to you, then that's a good thing. And God, I pray that as we are drawn to you, that we would fix our eyes on you and that we would understand the source of our faith is not in us. It's in you. It is in our hope in you. It is putting our eyes on you. It is fixing our attention on you. It is believing in you that will make the difference that will carry us through and hold us up. And so I pray for my friends, Lord, those here in this room and those watching online right now, I pray, God, that they would be drawn to you through whatever they're facing and that they would fix their eyes on you in faith and that you would meet them right there. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've not started your walk of faith, your life of faith in Christ. And what that basically comes down to is, is this, a decision you and only you can make to surrender, to give up your life, to give up your past, your present, your future, to admit you need a Savior, to confess that you have failed, that you've
goobered it up, that you need God, that you need a Savior, that you need his grace and his forgiveness. And when you come to that point and you cry out to him, he meets you. He's already paid the price for your sin on the cross. Our part is simply to embrace that, to accept it, to, to fix our eyes for the first time on him. And if that's you today and you're here and you want to begin your life as a Christ follower, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Again, it's, there's nothing magical about these words. What makes a difference is where you put your heart right now, the focus of your heart. But make these words yours as I pray them. Father, forgive me, for I've failed. I've sinned. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need a Savior. I confess, God, my sin, and I, I surrender my life to you, all of it. And I believe. I believe in you. I believe that you love me. I believe that you gave your life for me. I believe that you live, Jesus. And so now I've come to give you my all because you gave your all for me. Now if that's you, just in your own way, in your own heart, say, yeah, God, that's me. Every week, three, four, five people make this decision right here. Make that choice to say yes to him. And the Bible says the minute you do in your heart, the minute you believe, there's this moment where you cross from darkness into light, from, from not having a relationship to being in relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You become a child of God. Father, for those making that choice right now, show them what this means, what you're going to do. Show them, God, that you're going to empower them to live with you, that you're going to help them walk this walk of faith, that you'll be there every step of the way from here into eternity. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish uh, with a great song. And we're going to give. Uh, if you're a guest today, don't feel obligated to give. This is your church home. Give to support what God is doing here. But if you've got the connection card, the communication card, the prayer card, put that in the bag. And uh, we'll be sure to get those and follow up on them. But let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. This is my grandson, Caleb, one of my grandsons. And he's a little infatuated with Betsy, by the way. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> but I have a question for you. How strong does my grandson have to be to get my help? Not very strong. In fact, he's just two years old. He's kind of a weak little guy in a lot of ways. What does he need to do? Just come to Grandpa and believe that I'm going to help him. And he does. Comes to me all the time. And always asks me for something. <laughs> and you know what? If I'm that way, and I'm very, way, way imperfect, way, not even close to being like the Father, then how strong do you have to be to get God's help? You don't have to be. Just come to him. Cry out to him, and he'll meet you right there. If you need prayer today, and if you've got something physical going on in your body and you need healing, come down front. Let us pray for you. If you want to take communion, on both sides of the room, take that before you leave today. If you uh, would help us sign up for SOS, and it's back to the table so you can join us this coming Saturday to do that. But here's my prayer for you guys. Go believing in him. Fix your eyes on the one who loves you more than you can possibly imagine. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Okay, can we say bye-bye? Bye-bye.